0: You know, it's been said there's not a weapon in Satan's arsenal that could destroy Fargo Baptist Church from without, and that's true. There is nothing formed by Satan that could destroy this church from without. The real destruction will come from within. As long as we're unified within, it doesn't matter what's going on out there. We can forge ahead. If we maintain love for each other, if we maintain grace toward each other, if we maintain unselfishness and compassion, we will have unity. And all the devils, all the hordes of hell could not stop that if we're really pulling on the same end of the rope together in unity. The Bible says that the gospel of Christ is the power of God unto salvation. Welcome to Pulpit Power, featuring Pastor Tony Skeving, Senior Pastor of Fargo Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota. Today's message was previously preached before a church audience. And now, here's Pastor Skeving. Let's take our Bibles today and turn to Psalm 133. Psalm 133. There was a Christian who was marooned on a desert island for years and years and finally they rescued him but uh, as they're pulling away from the shore they noticed three huts on the shore and wondered what they were all about and he said well one of them is where I lived and he said okay uh, I understand what's the other hut he said well that's my church he said oh really okay what's the third hut he said "Well, oh, that was my church before we had a church split <laughs> you know the <laughs> point is you could almost put Of people in our camp on a desert island by themselves, and they'd have a church split, or they'd they'd find something to fuss about, wouldn't they? I'd like to talk today about the importance of church unity, the importance of church unity. In Psalm 133 and in verse number 1, it says, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard that went down to the skirts of his garments as the dew of hermon and as the dew that descended upon the mountains of zion for there the lord commanded the blessing even life forevermore notice it's talking about unity amongst the brethren it's comparing it here to precious ointment in verse 2 and then if you know anything about mount hermon you find dew there in the morning. In fact, we saw Mount Hermon just a little over a month ago and we're over there and it compares it to that dew on Mount Hermon. Something pleasant, something wonderful, something precious and something we want to talk about today. The importance of church unity. But let's pray before we begin. Father, we thank you now for our church. We thank you so much for our church family. And this place, this wonderful place we can come to to be together weekly. We ask that you'd bless this time together as we discuss something very important to us, near and dear to our hearts. And Lord, I just pray that we would uh, decide together that this is something we want and we're willing to work for. Give us now that grace and we'll thank you for it. We pray and ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, well, it's been well said that to live above with the saints we love, that will be glory. But to live below with the saints we know, now that's another story. (laughs) How important is church unity? You know, there's a difference between union and unity. You can take two cats and tie their tails together, and they would have a union, wouldn't they? But would they have unity? (laughs) If you know anything about cats, no. You know, as believers, we are continually fighting against the world, aren't we? And it's just relentless. It is like a magnet that pulls us in the wrong direction. And we have this enemy called the world, but that's not all. We have this enemy called the flesh, don't we? Probably the greatest pull is toward the flesh. A pull downward, a tug downward continually. We have to fight it, don't we? And Paul talked about it even in Romans chapter 7. So nobody's exempt from this. Nobody. He said, the things that I would do or should do, I don't. The things that I shouldn't do, I do. And he said, Oh, wretched man that I am, who should deliver me from this body of death, this body of sin? You know, the flesh is an enemy. We have a third enemy, don't we? The devil. We always talk about the world, the flesh, and the devil, and we are continually fighting these three enemies, but here's what happens. Sometimes we forget, we turn on each other, don't we? And we start fighting with each other. We're in, we're in the habit of fighting continually and contending for the faith, and we should. Uh, Jude 1.3 talks about beloved earnestly contend for the faith, which was once delivered unto the saints. And so we are to contend for the faith, no doubt about that. But, you know, we can kind of become contentious in the process of contending for the faith. And as a result, we forget the, the real enemy. You know, it's been said there's not a weapon in Satan's arsenal that could destroy Fargo Baptist Church from without, and that's true. There is nothing formed by Satan that could destroy this church from without. The real destruction will come from within. As long as we're unified within, it doesn't matter what's going on out there. We can forge ahead. If we maintain love for each other, if we maintain grace toward each other, if we maintain unselfishness and compassion, we will have unity. And all the devils, all the hordes of hell could not stop that if we're really pulling on the same end of the rope together in unity. Now, we find here in our text in Psalm 133, it says, Behold. Now, there's a word of affirmation, a powerful word, one to get our attention. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious ointment upon the head. It's talking here about the anointing of the high priest here that ran down the beard, even Aaron's beard. Notice it goes down his garment, hits his toes from head to toe. There's this wonderful scent, this wonderful aroma, this oil. And that's what unity's like. And then it talks about the dew of Hermon. As the dew that descended upon the mountains of Zion. That's what unity is in the the nostrils of God. What a blessing it is. How important it is. So let's talk about it. First of all, we see the core of unity. Now in verse 1, notice it says, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. You know, the unity I'm talking about today is not a, a unifying with everybody. You need to understand that. It's not a unifying with everything. There are are things like the World Council of Churches and National Council of Churches and all kinds of churches out there. Some of them cults even that don't believe the Bible. Some of them uh, different forms of worship, not even toward Jesus Christ. And then within the realm of Christianity, you have a lot of factions there as well. And we cannot yoke up with all of them if they are not scriptural. In fact, Amos 3.3 says, can two walk together except they be agreed? It's almost a... A question that answers itself, isn't it? Can they? No, they can't. Two cannot walk together except they be agreed. There's, there's not going to be a unity there as long as there is a difference of doctrine. We cannot lower our doctrine to the lowest common denominator to try and accommodate these other religions just to let them over the bar. We can't do that. We don't have the permission to do that. Two cannot walk together except they be agreed. In fact, we read in Ephesians 5.11 to have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. That word reprove means expose, point them out, shed light on. And it says have no fellowship, no connection, no concord with an unfruitful work of darkness. Now, how do we define an unfruitful work of darkness? Well, Isaiah 8 says that if they speak not according to this word, it's because there is no light in them. So we connect the dots. Okay, an unfruitful work of darkness is something that does not line up with the Word of God. And so we're to have no fellowship with it. In fact, take it a step further, reprove them, expose them. And we don't do it unkindly, but we don't yoke up with them. We can't. We cannot be unified with them. We find in 2 Corinthians 6.14 that the Bible says to be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with dark? Again, apparent answer, none. It's implied in the question. None. We have no fellowship with unrighteousness. We have no communion with darkness. We cannot. And so there's, there's a false unity. And, and I don't want you to uh, think that we're to yoke up arm in arm and, and stride forward with every uh, unction and faction out there. We're not. But when I'm talking about the core of unity, I'm talking about true brethren. Notice the verse again. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is a pleasant thing. You know, the opposite is a bitter thing. What is bitterness? Bitterness is something sour. It's disagreeable. It's it's hostile. It's wretched. We know what it means for, for bitterness. But what about pleasant? How good and how pleasant it is. If something's pleasant, it's agreeable, right? It's delightful. it's it's enjoyable, it's pleasurable, (laughs) we love it. And the Bible says how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. I don't know what you want, but I don't want sour, I don't want disagreeability, I don't want hostility, I don't want wretchedness, I want something agreeable, I want something delightful, I want something enjoyable, I want something pleasurable. That's what pleasant means here, basically. Now, sometimes when there's disunity within a church, it's a misunderstanding, I understand that. It's like this, this country church out in the boonies that was having a, a, a meeting, a business meeting, and the pastor got up and he said, Folks, he said, I think we need to purchase a new chandelier. And one guy got up in the back, an old hillbilly, and he said, Well, I'm against it. I'm against it. He said, First of all, it, those chandeliers cost too much. He said, Secondly, nobody around here knows how to play one. And he said, Thirdly, what we really need is new light in this place, you know. <laughs> Duh, sometimes it is a misunderstanding. Sometimes it's a matter of not being in somebody else's shoes. You know, kind of playing the the, uh, armchair quarterback and kind of second-guessing and kind of critiquing and looking over the shoulder and and, and trying to figure out what they ought to do. And and sometimes you get misunderstood. Sometimes I get misunderstood. I was behind a car here some time back, and the bumper sticker said, uh, why don't you and I trade places and I'll honk at you for a while. I love that. I, I should put that on my car. The point is, the guy out front is the one, everybody's honking at him. And sometimes you feel like, okay, let's switch cars and I'll honk at you. It looks so easy. You know, but, but we can be that armchair quarterback. And, and God help us not to do that. You know, most of the time, though, when it comes to disunity within the church, I think there's pride someplace. Uh, There's a reason for that. The Bible says in Proverbs 13.10 that only by pride cometh contention. Isn't that the truth? Only by pride cometh contention. Now, back here in Psalm 133, we find that David is writing about something that is so pleasant, and it's unity. And you say, what's he talking about? Well, I think in, in context here, he's talking about how for years King Saul had been tra- chasing him around the countryside. Remember when he was on the run, and we were we were by in in, in, in Gedi and, and, and places like that where he was hiding in the caves here just a little over a month ago. And I thought about that, him just with his 600 mighty men trying to get away from Saul out here in this area near the the Dead Sea and and where the Essens lived and all that. But finally, King Saul was killed in battle by the Philistines. And you would think, okay, David's the king of the whole works now, but he wasn't. He had a little portion of the whole kingdom and, and the rest went to the son of, of Saul by the name of Ishbosheth. He wasn't God's anointed at all. But Abner, the general of Saul, took Ishbosheth and made him king. And this civil war ensued between the south and the north and it went on and David be, became stronger eventually and finally Ishbosheth was killed. And, and finally, I think David was able to, re, to unite the whole kingdom and he wrote uh, this Psalm 133 and he said, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. The only way this nation could go forward is if it was unified. And finally, it was unified. Now, turn to Acts chapter 1 if you would. The same goes for a church, folks. The only way we can go forward is if we are unified. If we are pulling on the same end of the rope if we are in one accord. That is an expression I want you to look for in these verses here that we're going to take a peek at here in the book of Acts. By way of background, the church is young, obviously, and it's just getting going, and it needs something in order to have the power of God on it and for it to multiply and to cover the world. What is it? Well, in Acts 1 and in verse 14, it says, "...these all continued with one accord." with one accord. It's not talking about a Honda there, right? It's talking about agreement, one accord in prayer and supplication. Notice in chapter 2 and verse 1, it says, When the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. They were all on the same page. Look in the same chapter and go to the end of it and find verse 46. It says, And they continuing daily "...with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved." Now notice again, they were in one accord. And then skip to chapter 4, if you would, Acts 4. And notice with me, if you would, verse number 24, prayer time. It says, "...and when they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord." Again, with one accord. Look in chapter 5. In Acts 5 and in verse number 12, the Bible says, And by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought or worked among the people, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. You get in the picture? It's hard to miss, isn't it? You see it over and over and over again. They were on the same page. They were in union, but more than that, they had unity. They were in one accord. Look in chapter 15. We'll just look at one more here. How important is it that a church in the 21st century have one accord like this? Well, you see the fruit of it back in the first century. In chapter 15 and in verse number 25, it seemed good unto us being assembled with one accord to send chosen men unto you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul. And so you find it over and over and over again. This church is in one accord. Oh, the devil tried to disrupt it. No question about that. We see a few times, but, but God moves in and he wipes out the disunity and the church goes forward. They're in one accord. We read in Philippians 2 and in verse 2 where Paul says, Fulfill ye my joy that ye be like minded having the same love, being of one accord of one mind. Oh, what a wonderful thing it would be if we were all in one accord and we had one mind. We see the core of unity, but secondly, we see the case for unity. Let's make a case for unity. Why should we have unity? We read in 1 Corinthians one ten where Paul says, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Here's a church at Corinth 2,000 years ago that just wasn't getting along. I walked amongst the ruins of ancient Corinth, one of the greatest thrills of my life. Not a real big town, but just all the stone rubble left there. And, and also places even mentioned in the, in the book of Acts are still there. But I thought of this church, and did it meet over there? Did it meet over there? Did it meet down yonder in that direction? So many things are there just like they were there back when Paul walked the streets. It was a wicked town. It was a seaport town. It was a heathen town. And and from all parts and all corners of the globe, they brought their sin into that harbor there, and it it crept up into the city and into the church, and it, it just spilled over. And Paul writes this whole epistle just trying to fix stuff going on there and this was one of them and he said I beseech you that means beg you brethren by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ that you all speak the same thing and that there be no divisions among you but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment he goes on in chapter 12 he says that there should be no schism in the body but that the members should have the same care one for another. We know what a schism is. We know what something is if, it, if it's schismatic. It's, it, it causes dissension and discord. And he says there shouldn't be any of that in the body. And he's talking about the church body. The, the body of Christ in the city of Corinth at that time. Now, let me make a case for unity. Why should we be unified? I'll tell you why. First of all, because we all have the same past. We all have the same past. Think about it. Bottom line is we were dead in trespasses and sins. I was. Mike, you were as well. I would imagine that. We felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit. We agreed with God of our sinful state. We turned to Jesus Christ. Didn't we all do the same thing? Am I pretty much summing up how you got saved? Same with me. Isn't that neat? We all had the same past, but we got saved the same way. By placing our faith in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ and his shed blood on Calvary's cross. Now, we all have the same enemy, secondly. The same person who's trying to destroy your marriage, guess what? He's trying to destroy my marriage. And you you know what else? The same one who's trying to destroy your children, guess what? He's trying to destroy my children. We have the same enemy. The same person who's trying to wreck your life, is trying to wreck my life. The same person who's trying to wreck my testimony is trying to wreck your testimony. Did you know that the same weapons spiritually that are pointed at me are pointed at you? We have the same enemy. Folks, what are we fighting with each other for? We have the same past. We have the same enemy. The same person who's trying to destroy your church is trying to destroy our church. It's not exclusive to you. We have the same enemy. Now, if we have something bad to say about anybody, let's say it about the devil. You know what? He's a liar. He's a thief. He's a murderer. All the above. It's true. If we have anything to say bad about somebody, let's say it about him. Call the devil all the names you want, but the brethren don't need your criticism. We don't need each other's criticism, do we? We need prayer. We need encouragement. You know, I wonder how many uh, careless words are said that have marred somebody's life, they've marred somebody's future, they've broken somebody's heart, they've wrecked somebody's joy, maybe didn't mean to say them, maybe I didn't mean to say them, but they were said. They were said. Oh, be careful, little tongue, of what you say, right? (laughs) Little kids' song. Boy, how quickly we forget. Be careful, little tongue, what you say, for the Father up above is looking down in love. So be careful, little tongue. What you say. Away with the gossip, away with the criticism, away with the murmuring, away with the slandering. Why should we be in unity? We have the same past, we have the same enemy, we have the same common destination. Thirdly, think about that. We are going to the same place if we're saved. We better learn to like each other because eternity is an awful long time, isn't it? <laughs> A long time. We're going to see each other forever. Think about that. Forever. Imagine passing uh, somebody on the street here. And I say, well, there's George. I'm not speaking to him, you know. Really? In heaven? Streets of gold and we're not talking with each other. Good night. You know, the Bible says this in Revelation 21.4. God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And there should be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. All this stuff down here is going to be passed away. What are we wallowing through the manure now for? It's not going to be up there. We're going to be walking on streets of gold up there. You say, oh, but right now I'm offended, Pastor. I'm, I'm offended. Just offended. You know what the Bible says? In Psalm 119, 165, it says, Great peace have they which love thy law. And nothing shall offend them. Nothing shall offend them. Well, he dented my car in the parking lot. Nothing shall offend them. Well, he rebuked my child in Sunday school. Nothing shall offend them. Great peace have they that love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. Well, he stole my boyfriend. You should be glad if somebody can steal your boyfriend. I guarantee you, that's not the guy you want, okay? Nothing shall offend them. They gave me a dirty look. You know that folks have left churches over things like that? I've seen it. Dirty look? Really? Great peace have they that love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. Why should we have church unity? Well, we have the same past. We have the same enemy. We have the same future, common destination, really. And you know, fourthly, we have the same Father. Think about this. Look in Matthew chapter 7. Of all the relationships that God chose to have with us, he chose to be a father to us. Not just anybody. There's seven billion people in this world, but you do not become a child of God until you're born spiritually into his family. And if you have been saved, we have a, a common father. Think about it. In Matthew 7, and in verse 11, Jesus says, If ye then be an evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, How much more shall your Father which is in heaven give good things to them that ask him? Notice he mentions your Father which is in heaven. We have a common Father. In fact, look back in chapter 6, and in verse number 9, it says, uh, Christ says, uh, verse 4. Let's start there. That thine alms may be in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret himself shall reward thee openly. But when you pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they should be heard for their much speaking. Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask him. After this manner therefore pray ye, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You see it over and over again. We have the same Father. Think about that. The same Father. Hmm. Well, We find here we all have the same Father. We have the same deliverance. We have the same forgiveness. We have the same Savior. We have the same Holy Spirit. And so we find here a case made for church unity. But thirdly and finally, we see the consequences of church unity. There are three tenors. I don't know their name. They're famous. Caruso and uh, Domingo and Pavarotti or whatever. I'm sure I butchered their names. but, But they are like mega stars. They are like mega tenors. And, and superstars, international stars, as far as tenors go. They, they can do all that stuff. They decided to get together and have a concert in L.A. So here they are, the three tenors, and everybody, woo, the three tenors. I mean, they're all soloists, but now they're going to do a concert together. And boy, this reporter showed up, and, and he was talking to all three of them about how competitive they were as, as tenors, and how are you going to do this if you're so competitive? And I think it was Pavarotti who spoke up, and he said, We cannot be rivals if we're making music. Think about that. We cannot be rivals as a church if we're making music, folks. It's true in a church. And that's why David said, behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. He talked about that oil on Aaron's head. He talked about that dew on Mount Harmon there. And he said it's a pleasant thing. Who's it pleasant to? Well, it's a pleasant thing to the Savior, no question about that. It's a pleasant thing to the saints. Thirdly, it's a pleasant thing to the spectators, those outside of these four walls, the lost, those who are watching us. You know what Christ had to say in John 13, 33? He said, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one to another. He didn't say if you give a lot of money to the church. He didn't say if you pray a lot. He didn't say if you witness a lot. He said, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. That's how the world, that's how the spectators know we have the real deal. They see us getting along. They see us loving each other. Boy, what a testimony that is. And, and there's a pleasantness of unity. There is also a prayer of unity. Unity. We find in Acts 1.14, these all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. We will be able to pray. Maybe that's why we're seeing so few people praying after church on Wednesday nights or before church on Sunday mornings. God help us to be unified because there is a pleasantness and there is a prayer. And then thirdly, there's a peace. You know, the Bible says God is not the author of confusion, but of peace as in all the churches of the saints. And a church that doesn't have that peace is, is probably void of unity and vice versa. When we're void of unity, we're void of peace. We want that peace. Now, turn to Ephesians 4 and we'll wrap this up. Let's talk about the assistance. How do we get this unity? Where's the support? Where's the aid to find it? In Ephesians 4, notice here it is in verse 11. It says, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a complete or perfect man, under the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Notice the equipment God gives us, first of all, local church and the leadership within the local church, and the perfecting or the completing of the saints through that leadership for the work of the ministry, for the edifying the body of Christ, and then verse thirteen says, Till we all come in the unity of the faith. The unity of the faith. You know, the night before the Lord Jesus Christ went to the cross, he gathered his disciples together, they had supper, and then he went to praying. This is really the Lord's prayer. He said a number of things. But amongst them, he says in John 17, 21, that they, his church, all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. This thing, he says, is never going to get off the ground. The world is never going to buy into it, is never going to believe it, unless... That church there, Jerusalem, starts with a unified church body. That's what he's saying here. The salvation of souls depends upon it. Oh, there were many, many saved after Christ had prayed that prayer. But it, it all came down to the unification of that church there. You know, I'd hate to stand before God one day with blood on my hands and have to give an account for disrupting the unity within a local church I believe that's far more serious than we realize to have the loss come into the doors of this church and the, the preaching take place and, and the invitation be given and there's no effect because the Holy Spirit is grieved and the Holy Spirit is quenched you know we find there's heavy consequences to disunity and so God help us may the power of God be present on this local church that the salvation of souls might take place You've been listening to Pastor Tony Skeving of the Fargo Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota. If you would like a CD of today's message, you can obtain one by sending a gift of $2 to Fargo Baptist Church, 3303 23rd Avenue South, Fargo, North Dakota, 58103. That address again, Fargo Baptist Church, 3303 23rd Avenue South, Fargo, North Dakota, 58103. We hope you'll join Pastor Skeving next time right here on Pulpit Power. Pulpit Power is a production of Heaven 88.7.